Hello and welcome to Automators. It is time for episode 29. David, how are you doing? Excellent, Rose. How are you today? I'm super excited because I got to meet this amazing person at the Automators meetup at WWDC. And uh, we looked at some really cool stuff together and he agreed to come on the show. Do you know who it is? Adam Tao. Welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Yeah, Adam uh, also was at the um, automation seminar. I don't know what did uh, was Command D, right? What was yeah, what was Command else? D. yeah, Command D, yeah, and um, had this great uh, photo uh, workflow. But but Adam, you've gone all the way in with Siri shortcuts. I have. Well, tell us a little bit about your uh, your history with Apple, Adam. Man, my history go with Apple goes way back. I've been using Apple products since the Apple II. Um, my parents bought like an Apple II for our family and been using Apple products ever since. And my first Mac was an SE30 back in 1989. And I transitioned uh, to a PowerBook 180 uh, for college. Haven't looked back. That, that's amazing. I mean, I, I started with Macs a little bit later, but I, I remember seeing some of these and going, oh, they're nice. Um, yeah. So how, how was the PowerBook as a college machine? Was it portable? Was it automatable? Uh, the <laughs> automatable, I don't know, maybe with quick keys it was, but uh, that was such a long time ago, I don't really remember all the details. But yes, it was definitely portable. The battery life was uh, maybe like two hours long. So if if you used every power saving, you know, option that you could, so it could get through like a half day of classes uh, and it had an active matrix screen. So it was actually very good in the sunlight. Ah, yes. Something that we have a bit of a problem with with today's iPads. Yes, but it was only black and white, so <laughs> not um, wasn't very colorful. I can't help but feel that in the not-too-distant future, hopefully our lifetimes, we'll look back at the five-hour battery life and shake our head like, wow, I can't believe we only had five hours of battery life. Yeah, laptops today, I mean, they tout their laptops to like last all day long, but I don't know, maybe the things that I'm doing, they only last like two, three hours still. Yeah, it seems like different rules. Uh, the iPad and iPhone actually do last a long time where the, the laptops just don't. Um, Though I will say, I can now at least charge my uh, my MacBook uh, Air with something that looks like the, the charger that you get with an iPhone. It's a little bit bigger. Maybe it's closer to the size of the one that you get with a regular iPad, but yeah. uh, I can charge it with a teeny tiny charger now. Yeah, I'm still yeah. stuck with the 2015 MacBook Pro with MagSafe mm. and the wall. Yeah. Well, you've always had an interest in automation, Adam. And, uh, you know, like I said, when we talked to Command D a few years ago, you had this really cool automation about photos. But you've, you've gone further with it. Um, tell us a little bit about MessageFiler. So MessageFiler is a mail plugin for the Mac, and it lets you file messages directly into mailboxes just by using the keyboard. So if you have a lot of nested folders, a lot of mailboxes in mail, you can just type a few characters out of the mailbox, hit return, and the message will be filed automatically into that mailbox. Yeah, and you've been able to keep, this is a mail plugin, right, for the mail app. It's a little both. So when initially it started out as a mail plugin, and mail plugins yeah. are kind of like a kind of like a unsupported feature within macOS 10 mail. Uh, but when the Mac App Store came out in, what was it, Snow Leopard, um, Snow Leopard? Yeah, Snow Leopard. I decided to make a, a version of it for the Mac App Store. And it's kind of a, a hybrid. You can use it uh, kind of standalone, but if you install a plugin, it works with the app to kind of supercharge filing. Are you ready? Are you getting ready for Catalina? 
I am. So the, the app actually hasn't been updated in a very long time. What's great about having a plugin is that you can just update the plugin, which is separate from the Mac App Store. And you can have the Mac app kind of just stay there, but it stayed there for like several years. So I'm working on an update that brings things like dark mode support, uh, update some 32-bit compatibility things for Mojave and Catalina. Uh, Mail plugin developers are having a bit of a struggle right now trying to get their plugins installed properly in Catalina. But we hope that's going to be, those problems are going to be ironed out by the time, you know, it's released later this year. A few years ago at WWC, I was talking from someone at Apple who told me point blank, he said that, you know, we consider the mail plugins like one of the last real security vulnerabilities on the Mac OS. And, you know, for too long, it was very easy for anyone to create a plugin and potentially a malicious plugin. So they've really dialed it down. So my uh, my heart goes out to you guys. I know that people making good, legitimate plugins, they, you can still do it, but I understand it's quite a bit more work than it used to be. You know, and, and the reason for that is, from Apple's vantage point, is that they want to protect security. It definitely is. And every every year I, I, I tell my customers, like, why haven't you, who asked me, why haven't you updated message fire to support, like, you know, AI-powered, you know, intelligent, you know, show me the recommendations of uh, mailboxes to follow to. And I'm like, well, I don't know what's going to happen in the next version of the OS. They may just like get rid of plugins and turn uh, Mac OS 10 mail into iOS mail. Uh, so I do the bare minimum to support the, the product and really because the product is, does exactly what I want it to do. So a lot of the apps that I've written or even the shortcuts that we'll talk about later, they do exactly what I want it to do. And, and, and I like them like that. Well, so if people are interested, head over to uh, messagefiler.com, M-S-G-F-I-L-E-R.com. And then, so do you need the app at this point or can you do it just with the plugin? There's also a plugin that's available that you just uh, can download and use. It's shareware. So yeah. it will, you can file messages and it'll just nag you every every once in a while to to purchase the product. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, well, I mean, that's one form of automation, but you do so much more, Adam. I mean, so much more. <laughs> yeah. We can talk a little bit about my photography workflow because that's how we first met at the Command D conference. So how many of you use uh, DSLRs, say, or you only use your iPhones? I recently got a camera again, but I didn't get a DSLR. I got a Canon point and shoot, but it's pretty nice. Um, and uh, I mean, it's got 40 times optical zoom, which I have to say was the primary reason for getting it because the two times optical zoom in the iPhone doesn't quite cut it some of the time. Right. And does this camera support Wi-Fi? Oh, yeah. It's got okay. the whole works. It's even right. got a partner or a companion application where you can record the location through your phone and then send it, like it pairs it up with the photos afterwards, which is kind of cool. And how often um, do you use the that Wi-Fi capability to send the photos from the camera to your phone? Uh, I honestly have not yet plugged the camera in. Okay. <laughs> I've only ever done it via the Wi-Fi. So, yeah, that's that's what I was saying. So do you send pictures routinely from the camera to your phone via the Wi-Fi yeah. and the camera? Yeah, app? yeah, yeah. I, I, I've never once even thought about taking the SD card out and plugging it into right. something. I just open the app and grab the photos over. Okay. Yeah, I found that it's kind of like a finicky process to get the Wi-Fi um, kind of working correctly or it's slow. You have to like open different apps yeah. and stuff. So what I wanted to accomplish with the my DSLR was actually have the photos transfer automatically. So I have a, a Canon 5D Mark IV. And what's great about it is that it has the ability to contact FTPS servers or regular FTP servers. 
So I have it configured to send the photos once I, you know, click the shutter button, send the photos directly to my Mac mini that's running at home. That's running a FTPS, which stands for secure FTP. Um, and then from there, I have a variety of scripts that send those photos to my um, Dropbox accounts, Google Photos accounts, Apple Photos, and it even sends me the photos via iMessage. That is nice. And then I also uh, rename the files using a combination of Hazel and Exif Renamer. Exif Renamer is a command line Perl script for reading and manipulating Exif data in photos. And therefore, the photos have the exact same file name as when I eventually import the raw files, um, which I archive into Amazon Prime Photos. So I, have, I can do like searches using my shortcut scripts to find the original raw photo and download it to my iPhone if I'm remote. That, that's really cool. So, so what actually prompted all of this? Because, I mean, this is really cool, but I'm guessing there was a use case that inspired all of it. Well, yeah. Um, for the longest time, you know, I shot with DSLRs and then the iPhone came out and I started shooting less and less with my uh, big camera. But as you know, the photos from the big camera are oftentimes much better, uh, even today, than, than the iPhone cameras. Um, so I started, once the 5D Mark IV came out with FTPS, I um, wanted to be able to have the same experience of shooting photos that I had with my iPhone camera with my DSLR. And now I do with this, with this workflow. I can bring the big camera when I want to, and I can get like super high quality images, and they can be delivered straight to my iOS devices and all my Apple devices and cloud-connected photo libraries. How come you don't use like an iFi or one of those wireless memory cards? So uh, a lot of DSLRs are uh, made of metal. And so these wireless cards don't have very good coverage. Um, when the little SD card is contained in a little kind of metal cage. <laughs> um, yeah. And I did use iFi early on in the, in the past. In fact, I actually um, helped design like the first iFi website when they first came out. I know the, the founders of, of the company. Um, and so I used their products for a little bit, but uh, the range wasn't very good and the speeds were not always the best. So um, in kind of like real world situations, it uh, didn't work very well, I found. All right. So, uh, and just kind of walk us through the automation a bit. Um, uh, number one, uh, so your camera has a Wi-Fi radio in it To I mean, how do you get it to the FTP to begin with? Yeah, so the Canon 5D Mark IV is one of the few cameras that actually supports FTP or FTPS transfers. There's a there's a Sony camera and another um, kind of the higher end Canon cameras that support that. Um, and there's a built-in Wi-Fi, you know, chip. So I have it connected to a wireless hotspot that I carry with me all the time. I could use my iPhone, but that would yeah. that would drain the battery very quickly. So uh, I have a an Android device actually, which serves a mobile hotspot. Um, that can stay on pretty much indefinitely as long as it's being pinged. I know on iOS, uh, personal hotspot like closes after a certain amount of uh, inactivity. Yeah. So the camera is connected to the mobile hotspot. And so when photos are taken, I send the small JPEG. You can shoot RAW or JPEG or RAW plus JPEG on the camera. Yeah. And I send the small JPEG, which is still, a, I don't know, like an eight megapixel image. Um, yeah. to my FTPS yeah, small, server. Small is relative these days on cameras. Yeah, eight megapixel, but it's still about one megabyte per image. Yeah. Uh, and it sends that straight to the FTPS server that's running in my house. Yeah. 
And from there, uh, like I said before, I have a variety of like Hazel scripts um, and Perl scripts that rename the file, move the file to the right places, uh, Apple scripts to import the file into my photos library. So Apple sure. Photos is running on the Mac mini and there's an Apple script that just like imports the images. And, and gang, uh, Adam has written a post about this and we're going to link it in the show notes so you can go through and see exactly how he did it. And it's really clever and, and quite useful for anybody that's shooting on a non iPhone. Um, uh, one thing, did, did you solve the location problem with this? I don't see that you did, but maybe I'm missing something. The Canon 5D Mark IV does have a built-in uh, GPS. So okay. I could turn that on and get location information um, embedded into the photos, but I don't. And the only reason is because it drains the battery even further. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. unfortunately, the, the Canon 5D Mark IV, when you have FTP, wireless, that has Bluetooth turned on, it, it drains the battery very quickly. So I'm always carrying like lots of extra batteries. And you don't want to carry, you know, four times as many for the GPS as well. Yeah, exactly. I wish that the can supported uh, charging through the USB port, but mm. it doesn't do that yet. Uh, you know, that 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 is one automation problem I haven't solved yet with. And that is when I use the fancy camera getting location data and the way I just manually add it in photos in the photos application. Mm-hmm. And it's very generic. Like I'm looking at your your blog post, your Disney's California Adventure. So I would just set DCA, like the main gate, as the location for those pictures. I wouldn't mm. have them set at the exact location in the park like I would with my iPhone. But the um, it just takes a few minutes to do it manually. And I, I, every automation solution I've looked for, like sometimes you carry, one solution involves carrying a portable GPS logger with you. And then syncing you via timestamp the logger data with the photo data. And there's just like two or three different ways to do it. But all of them seem to me like they're more trouble than they're worth. I, I, I definitely feel the same way. That's one of the reasons why I've got the Canon that I do, because uh, it specifically has this companion application where you can say, start doing the GPS logging right now and then stop and then sync it with the photos afterwards and then you're done. Um, and because you don't do the GPS tracking on the camera, the camera doesn't run out of battery afterwards. You just sync it up afterwards. Um, I would assume your phone probably uses quite a bit it of It does, uh, but battery. honestly, if I'm going somewhere where I really care about the GPS data on, on the pictures, I'm going to be carrying a battery pack or four, um, depending on how big the batteries are. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not too concerned about that. And it's not that bad because, I mean, your phone is tracking your location most of the time anyway for find friends or, you know, maps, yeah. things like that. So I'm going to have to look into that. There, there are some third-party apps that rather than having a GPS logger, use your phone for it. And then I've got a Sony camera, which I think actually has better support for this stuff than I'm actually giving it credit for. I just haven't bothered to really get to the bottom of it. Yeah, but no, this is really good as well. Um, I have one uh, one question for you, Adam. Is there a particular reason why you're using an Apple script to import into photos rather than the built-in Hazel feature to add to a photos library? Uh, I did some tests, and uh, the Hazel thing only operates, I think, on individual images, uh, mm. individual files. So it was calling the import thing like over and over. I Yeah. And so what I had done was I tried to kind of batch uh, import, which kind of lessened yeah. the kind of the, the, the problem that you had with earlier versions of photos where you'd see like import last import and there's like one image. Um, yeah. So you'd have last important, like lots of images. Yeah. Uh, I'm still running kind of an older version of uh, Mac OS. I think it's maybe high Sierra on the Mac mini. 
since mm-hmm. they removed some, it's running Mac OS 10 server, which right. had a kind of a built-in VPN. And they kind of took that out of Mac OS 10 server um, in Mojave. So uh, I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing right now, but I, th- I think I'm still using kind of the batch import script. This is really interesting for me because uh, I have a Mac mini that's literally on its way to me right now. It should be arriving on Wednesday, according to uh, Apple's information. And one of the things I really wanted to do was to set up actually like an automated photos thing where photos get properly imported and tagged and everything and put into my photos library, because this is always a problem I've had. My photos have never been vaguely organized, but now that photos has all these magic smart albums that it just does. Um, I would really like to take advantage of this, but if I don't have good photos, then, well, I mean, there's a lot of screenshots of bugs in iOS 13 that are currently populating my photos library. So that'll be my memories in 10 years. (laughs) Okay, so let me just put a pin in that to say, Rose, I've noted that you have bought a new Mac and we are going to talk about that in the future. Okay, okay. not right now. Yeah, Um, not right now. Adam, what about the raw photos? Yeah, so when I get home, I import the raw photos into uh, using Photo Mechanic, and then that renames the files exactly how I renamed the images when they were sent via FTP. And then I put them into, I used to use Apple Aperture, but obviously that went away. So now I use uh, Adobe Lightroom. And then I also have, unfortunately, it's a manual process where I sync those photos to Amazon Prime Photos. And if you're a member, Amazon Prime member, you basically get unlimited photo storage. And so I throw the raw images up there. Okay, a couple of questions there. Um, one is, how does it get the exact name? So I use a kind of like a date stamp naming tool. So basically mm-hmm. the year, month, day, and seconds, and then the, kind of the four-digit frame number from the image. And that okay. kind of uniquely identifies the, the photos. Yeah, and it's going to have the same date stamp as the JPEG, so that makes sense. Right. Right. So, so then when, when you have the photo named the same way in Google, Dropbox, Amazon Prime, and iPhoto, you can do you know, the same type of search across all the different photo services. And some services are much better than others. So for instance, if I was looking for an image and I couldn't remember where it was taken, but I remember something that was in the image or a person that was in the image, I would go to Google Photos and do a quick search, right? And yeah. Google does all its, you know, AI recognition on stuff. So I can look for like roller coaster and it'd find me the time that I went to, you know, great America. And then if I needed that raw image, I can go to Amazon prime photos and grab that image because I know exact, the exact file name. That's a really smart way of doing it. I am totally stealing this stolen. Let's consider it stolen. This is brilliant. And then, and what about like the, the initial edit? Like if you're like me, you go out, you take a bunch of pictures and quite often, you know, you really only need like one fourth or, or even less percentage of the actual pictures you took. But your system is like importing and doing this stuff as you shoot them. Um, and the, and you're, you're making copies of them, you're sticking them all over the place. How do you, like when you decide to go through and edit the, the library, how do you do that? Yeah, that's, that's always going to be a problem. Um, the way I see it is storage is cheap. So you just don't delete. <laughs> okay. Um, when I'm doing like a final edit, if I'm going to distribute the photos to like, I have, I use Smug Mug, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I would, I'll edit them in Lightroom and I'll, I'll post the, the final gallery, say to, to Smug Mug, the final edited gallery. Yeah. So uh, iPhoto, iCloud photo library obviously is, is different it's on your iPhone. You don't want to see all the images. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine deleting the obviously bad images 
and then they'll disappear mm-hmm. from all my iCloud connected devices. And then also, how you said uh, something earlier that once you send the JPEG to the Mac Mini, I believe you said it messages you a copy of the picture. How did, you said you get like one remotely immediately. Right. So sometimes the the sync to iCloud for library takes a long time. Um, yeah. Who knows what's yeah. happening with, with in iCloud well, I mean, when there, you send so it many there. Different Involvements, like if you're at a public place and you don't have good Wi-Fi, it's first it's got to get up on the internet at home, and then it's got to get back to your device. It does take a while. Exactly. But what I found was, if you send yourself an iMessage, it yeah, it comes pretty pretty quickly. Um, so I have an Apple script that basically messages the messages app on the Mac is open on the Mac Mini server is open and yeah. signed into to my account, and so I just mm-hmm. send myself. The image. So I have an Apple script yeah. that sends the image. I actually, I think I resized the image. So it's a little smaller and I just send myself the image. So it comes uh, pretty quickly. So the problem there then is that if you have an Apple watch, which I do, your Apple watch is constantly getting pinged with messages. And I found that that actually drains the Apple watch battery very quickly. If you're constantly getting messages, even if you've turned off uh, notification for that uh, iMessage account. Oh, that's annoying because I know in the in the messages app you can I've ju- I've just done it to David I've now hidden alerts uh, on the message thread that I share with David um, and now I've just shown the alerts as well. But does that not transfer to the Apple Watch? I got the impression previously that it did, but maybe some of these senders are also landing in unknown senders. You can mute on my side. Yeah, you can mute yeah. the notification, but this the message still comes in. So so oh, for instance, right? Yeah. So for instance, if you're doing a, a all night all day shoot and you're connected mm. to this, you're sending like hundreds. Thousands, maybe, yeah. of photos through um, through the network onto your Apple Watch, your iOS device, and that I found that eventually the, the Apple Watch eventually pings me and says, "Oh, low battery." I wonder if that's because it's images that are getting sent through, or just messages. I mean, as an experiment, I'd be curious to see if you didn't attach the messages, the images, but just got a message each time. Mm-hmm. It may be the the data transfer. I suspect the photos are playing a part because if you think about it, if you open messages on the watch, um, then you can actually like browse through and see the exact message. And I'm trying to look for something where I've sent somebody a photo recently. Um, and I apparently just don't send people pictures via iMessage because there is nothing here. But you, you can see the pictures usually um, when people send me something. It comes through on my Apple Watch. Oh, there we go. I sent my, my mom a picture of the TV and it's right here, even though I've never looked at it before on my watch. So... Yeah, I suspect it's it's trying to save it there. Wow. Well, that's quite a workflow, Adam. I have to. I well, you shared this one at Command D, and I'm like, man, this is crazy, but it's it's kind of awesome too, you know, <laughs> because it it really covers a lot of problems. It gets you immediate feedback on your photos, gives you something you can send to social media from your DSLR with no work. It gets multiple copies stored to the cloud, so if your camera you know falls off the tram you're still going to have captured all your pictures for the day. It just, you know, it solves a lot of problems. It does. And this actually segues nicely into how I use the photography workflow with shortcuts. Ooh. Well, before we get to that one, I think it would be a good moment to stop and thank our sponsors and then come back to shortcuts. It is time to thank today's sponsor. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. You can unlock your productivity with Text Expander. Easily insert text snippets in any application from a library of content created by you and your team. Text Expander works everywhere you type, so you can improve your productivity and accuracy, 
no matter what apps you use. TextExpander for Teams is awesome. It keeps everything up to date for everybody, so you don't waste time and nobody is sharing outdated information. I first discovered TextExpander about seven years ago, and some of the snippets that I use most frequently include things like my name and email address, as well as a specific signature that I have to use with outside contacts at work. I'll recommend TextExpander to anybody who types the same thing again and again, or similar things that you could use the fancy snippets with fill-in fields to help customize. It helps you get your work done. And that, of course, is why we like to automate everything. TextExpander is available for macOS, Windows, iPhone, iPad, and Chrome. Show listeners get 20% off of their first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash podcast. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to TextExpander from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, Adam, so you were just telling us about, uh, you know, you've got all of this camera workflow, but now you have a bunch of things that you can do with, in shortcuts with it as well. What is that? That's right. So when I'm uh, going about shooting and I want to distribute my photos to a particular uh, group of people, uh, I would create a Dropbox folder and then tell the camera to send all the photos to that Dropbox folder. In addition to, you know, my photos library, Google Photos, um, Dropbox. Um, so I have a shortcut. It actually started out as a workflow action called uh, uh, PB5D. So it's kind of like Photobot 5D, kind of like a play on R2D2. PB5D sure. Dropbox destination. And so I run the workflow or the shortcut and it asks me, you know, what Dropbox folder do you want to send this to? And I can also optionally create a new Dropbox folder. And I, I type in the name or I select one pre that's already pre-filled. And from that point on, um, the photos are also copied to this Dropbox folder, which I can then share with, you know, other people. That's pretty nice. So, so you do you, uh, how, how do you do the folders? Because I'm guessing if you're sharing a whole folder with somebody, you probably don't want the photos from six weeks ago in there. Right. So the, you can also say none so that you can basically effectively turn off the Dropbox destination feature of this, yeah. of this workflow. So if I'm doing a shoot, so a few, uh, at WWDC, James Dempsey and the Breakpoints were doing a concert. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I created a Dropbox folder and basically all the images were being sent to this folder. And then James had a friend, Victor, who is backstage, who was looking at all the images and posting them to social media in real time. So I didn't That's have to- That's how yeah. that was working. Exactly. Oh, the curtain has been lifted on all the secrets. Exactly. So I wasn't the one that was actually looking at the images and say, oh, that's a good one to post to, to Twitter. Here it goes. Uh, we had someone in the back that was handling all of that. And that was made possible using this wireless photography workflow. That That is really nice. Yeah. So an exa- another example is that you're at a birthday party uh, or a wedding and you just want to share the photos immediately. You know, you don't care mm-hmm. too much about editing. You can just... Uh, run the shortcut, Dropbox destination, say, you know, Alan and Jan's wedding, and mm-hmm. then share that Dropbox folder and say, here, here are my photos, you know, and uh, anyone can look at them, anyone can see them, uh, anyone can download them. That's really nice. And because you can create the folder in advance, then you could also like create a QR code, which basically just links to that folder or a short link or something on cards and have them given to the guests as well so that everyone can just download the photos. Exactly. Afterwards. Now, I wouldn't do that if you're the official wedding photographer, since they will see everything, <laughs> including yeah. the bad images. But um, yeah. if you're just there as, as a guest, it's, it's an easy way to get the photos to the to the couple without having to go through any kind of photo sharing service. 
That that's nice. And then you've of course got the the pictures of the person who drank just a little bit too much, who's doing air guitar on stage. Um, so you know you've got those photos forever, and so does everyone else. In case you ever need to blackmail them. Exactly. Yeah, it, there used to be a time where everybody put these box cameras on every table at a wedding. And my oh my wi- yeah, the disposable cameras. Yeah, my wife and I used to have a lot of fun with those, and um, we would always you know take some interesting pictures just to see what the bride and groom would say. Sometimes they'd say nothing. Those were the best. But the uh, but so tell me, if you're setting up this Dropbox folder, do you do you do it? Okay, I'm sure you've done it in the past. Like where you're like, I'm going to the wedding tomorrow. I'm going to create everything here on my Mac before I leave, so it's all ready to go. But on occasion, you would probably want to do that remotely. Um, are you able to do that? I haven't thought about it. I guess you'd use the Dropbox app on your phone to create the folder? Not not at all. You can use shortcuts. So shortcuts okay. has the, the action create folder. And okay. it can, mm-hmm. yeah, it can create a folder in you know, iCloud or in Dropbox. So the shortcut itself, Dropbox destination, creates the folder. But what about throwing the sharing flag on that folder? Can you do that through shortcuts? That I don't think you can. So that I would just Actually. open up the Dropbox folder. I think you can. Really? Um, because if you, because if, if Shortcuts has an action where you can get a link to a file. And if you give it a folder, then at least on iOS 12, this used to work. Um, and I know because that's how I would get um, links to folders for guest posts that I wrote. So I recently did, for example, a guest post um, on the Really FM newsletter showing everybody my desk. Um, and the way I got the link to that was actually I have a guest post folder and uh, I have a shortcut that lets me get a link to that. So I will try and put that in the show notes. No, but what I'm talking about is like if you're at the wedding, you say, okay, I want to share this with somebody. Can I do do that outside of the Dropbox app? Could I have shortcuts? turn it into a shared folder just via the shortcut. I, I'm going to have to play with I it. Don't I don't think that's possible, yeah. no. But you can get the link. Um, yeah. And, so. then, and then I guess you could, I, I don't have it open in front of me right now, but I think the Dropbox app, the iOS app, would allow you to turn that flag on, then that would be close enough. I'm just curious, because this is a great workflow, very easy to implement for anybody. And this could also not necessarily even work with your big fancy camera, but your iPhone camera, you know, just moving the images over to Dropbox. So the sharing option is kind of nice. And then another thing I was thinking about, it'd be fun to expand that as a shareable shortcut for people, where Mm -hmm. um, if you're at a wedding, you could pass the shortcut around and folks could also be uploading their images. So you'd have a, you know, in essence, a group library. That that is a nice way to do it. Yeah, Dropbox Mm -hmm. does have that submit files feature. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, where you can just let people drop stuff in. But the trick is getting it with people who are not tech-savvy. That's why I, I like the idea of a shortcut where it just gets them a memo, they, a menu, and they just push a button. Yeah, Yeah, but then what do you do with people on Android? Is Too there bad. a tasker action for this? Too bad. Maybe? Too bad. No Android pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send, send them to me via MMS and I'll figure something out. <laughs> Adam, you do a lot with shortcuts, and uh, we're going to put some links to some of the stuff you've done. In fact, everybody, just make a note, uh, tow.com, T-O-W.com. That's Adam's website, and there's tons of automation stuff showing up in there. Like, for instance, there's just so much great shortcut stuff, but there's lots of automation. And yes. um, But the uh, the one that you've done that nobody else has done, the one that one of the reasons, honestly, you're on the show is you created a choose-your-own-adventure, you know, basically text adventure with shortcuts. 
Adam, that's awesome. Yeah. So I created this kind of advanced dialogue engine for shortcuts uh, called PromptKit. And kind of the, the idea behind it was to uh, kind of supercharge the kind of, uh, alerts and prompts in iOS to support kind of translations. Um, and kind of working around on it, I decided, hey, this could actually work for kind of choose your own adventure type things where you can create uh, basically an interactive story in text and run it through this dialogue engine, PromptKit, and then it would prompt the user, uh, ask them questions, and they could respond. And then based on their response, you could dynamically send them to another prompt and another prompt, another prompt. And so that's kind of how PromptKit started. And then I created a, a prototype of a choose your own adventure type story called Dark Dungeon, which I'll be releasing shortly. That's awesome. Well, this is really nice because that is something that I wouldn't say it's impossible to do in shortcuts because it isn't. But doing um, what is essentially a switch case where you say, okay, if person chooses option A, go over here and do this. If person chooses option B, go over here and do that. Well, that's, you know, so you've got if A, but then you have to start adding an if B inside of it. And at some point you've got a 12.9 inch iPad screen and then you're working with something that's the width of an iPhone just because of the way that shortcuts nests things. So you've done all of the hard work and handled this, which is impressive. Thank yeah, you. so you're welcome. So yeah, exactly. The if you you can do a choose your own adventure uh, thing in shortcuts, but it will get complicated very very quickly. So mm-hmm. what I did was I kind of separated the kind of the logic out of the kind of those nested actions into what's effectively a JSON file, so a text file. So you can actually write these things in a text editor, and then uh, copy and paste that code into a shortcut that then calls PromptKit and then just runs your story. And, and I really appreciate this because as a guy who used to have an Apple II, you go back far enough that you remember when we all learned basic on our Apple or Tandy or whatever computer it was back in the day, the first game that we all made was a text adventure because that is something you could do with basic. Exactly. I have fond memories playing games like Sword Thrust, uh, yeah. Zork. Zork. Zork was the big one. I remember in my English class, my English teacher essentially gave this to us um, as a prompt for writing stories. So we were there with dice trying to choose answers and things like that. And then we actually had to write a full on story based on the adventure that we just done, which was really good fun. Yeah. And the other uh, feature of PromptKit is it does real time translation. Um, so if you get delivered a, a, a PromptKit story that's written in English, you but you use the Japanese version of iOS you can have it actually translate all the dialogues, prompts, and menu choices into Japanese or any other language that's supported by uh, the system. That, that is very nice. So, of course, with all machine translation, you may occasionally get a little bit of weirdness happening. Exactly. For example, yeah. it does yeah, use German the, finance yeah. options. That goes a bit crazy. Right. It does <laughs> use the, the Microsoft uh, Translate Text Action that's part of Shortcuts to do the machine translation. Which, I mean, I have to say Bing translation is not bad as far as automated translation goes. It, it's pretty good, but there will occasionally probably be a little bit of weirdness there. But I think we can forgive that. I know, but it's still amazing when you think about it, that you can just take a bunch of text and just translate it to Japanese. I mean, a language so different from English. Yes. And it's, it, it's, and it's pretty far along the way. I'm sure it's not complete, but it's pretty far along in terms of getting you what you need. Definitely. 
So you used one of your, your I'm going to call it a kit shortcut um, for this. So essentially a framework um, called PromKit. Uh, but this is not the only framework that you've created for shortcuts that other shortcut creators can use in their applications, is it? It isn't. Yeah, I created a, a framework called App Framework, which uh, a lot of my shortcuts, my complicated shortcuts are based on, which brings uh, kind of like uh, global variables, functions, uh, other helper functions to basically create kind of interactive shortcuts. So, so explain that for folks who are not programmers. A lot of people listen to the show like automation, but but don't have XKit or, or Xcode installed. Right, right. So shortcuts, you know, if you think about it, they're kind of like quick macros. You you yeah. get some input and you do something on it. So what I wanted to see what was possible is could you create full-on applications within shortcuts using shortcuts? Yeah. Um, and there was no kind of easy way to do that unless... Um, you did some shortcut magic, I would say. So I created this uh, kind of this uh, application loop that, you know, the shortcut, when you launch a shortcut, it starts this, this continuous loop that runs forever until you quit the, quit the shortcut. And uh, it displays menus. So you could have options just like, a, like when you run an app, you have what do you want to do. And it gives you a, bunch, a menu with a variety of options. And then you run that option it does its execution and then it returns to the application loop and shows you the menu again. Uh, so using this framework, you can basically create uh, kind of full-on shortcut applications within the shortcut framework. That That's impressive. So you end up being able to do, well, maybe not everything, but almost anything, I would presume, um, at least within the realms of what's possible. Within the realm of what's possible within the within shortcuts. Right. Yeah. But um, this this approach actually allowed me to create kind of some things that you weren't even possible, even within a stock iOS app. So uh, one of the shortcuts I developed was called Cronios, which was a way to run shortcuts automatically in the background in iOS. So you, you see today with iOS 13, you know, they have the ability to, to run shortcuts automatically uh, based on like time and location. But Cronios on iOS 12 was a, a viable way to kind of run these. Um, before. Before, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're saying iOS 12. I'm guessing, unfortunately, that means that iOS 13 has broken something? iOS 13 has definitely broken a few things. It's brought a few things to the table, uh, very exciting things to the table. But <laughs> for a lot of my shortcuts, it's kind of... Uh, made them either obsolete or broken. So I'm still working on on trying to get them updated for iOS 13, but the mm -hmm. current betas are a little buggy at the moment. So I'm, I'm hopeful that there'll be, uh, things will stabilize soon. Yes, uh, when, when Adam says things are a little bit buggy, I literally picked up my iPad today and opened it. Um, uh, sorry, I turned it on because I'd had to turn it off yesterday evening because there was something that just kept crashing in the background. And I was like, okay, iOS back. Turn it off, leave it overnight, come back to it in the morning. I turned it on and I unlocked it and it told me settings crashed in the background. It's like, excuse me? Yeah, <laughs> I literally just turned this off. So yes, I filed a radar on that. But. It's just, you know, I think this year is is one where they, they made a lot of forward progress and that always comes with bugs, you know? And the... I'm okay with that so long as they can get them ironed out. I mean, like even like in shortcuts, the you talked about the the crone based triggers, you know, the time based triggers. Those weren't working for me until beta four. I mean, it, yeah. it just it but just, then beta four broke NFC tag support. Yeah, just so for fun. 
Yeah. So, but they got, they got, the, you know, they're, they're making progress, I guess is what I'd say. Um, oh, but yeah. the, but you know, we're now getting closer to September. So hopefully they do. Yes. And I have to say, I mean, it's in some ways, it's a shame that all of the work that you've put into this, Adam, is, is being, you know, Sherlocked. Um, but on the other hand, it, May have just it may have also been a proof of concept. You know, you created this stuff, and so the shortcuts team are there going to Apple, going, look at what people are making, so that they can do this. Can we please implement it, please, please, please? Uh, and somebody at Apple was like, "Yeah, go on then." So maybe you were the canary in the coal mine, unwitting canary, perhaps. And fairly, I mean, a couple points there is number one is now it's a lot more accessible to folks. Yes, you know. Um, it's, it's much easier to do the way they've set it up than, but, but also there are things that Adam's done that still aren't there. Like you have that notes based protocol where you make a Apple note and then all of a sudden it starts doing things in the background with shortcuts to explain that one a little, I think it right. was it note cuts. It's called note cuts. So what note cuts does is it triggers the automatic running of shortcuts based on new text that's been added to an Apple note, a Dropbox text file or an Evernote note. So this allows you to integrate with services like If This Then That or Zapier. So based on some type of web trigger, you could then have those If If This Then That or Zapier add some text to like Dropbox or Evernote. And then when Note Cuts runs, it says, hey, there's a new, there's a new piece of text. And it says, run the shortcut. And it'll run the shortcut automatically on the device. So you could actually share these notes. So if I shared a note with you, uh, Rosemary, and I said, you know, speak text. Hey, this is your iPhone speaking. Uh, if you're writing note codes, note cuts, it would like speak that, and you're like, what just happened? Why is my iPhone yeah. talking to me? Yeah, I, I would then be convinced that my iPhone is possessed and run away screaming, and then come back and restore it to iOS 12. Perhaps, probably wouldn't actually resolve my problems, but there we go. Yeah, but you could see how it could be used if, uh, yeah, for less nefarious purposes. If you wanted to notify someone Absolutely. that, hey, I'm leaving um, this place. Uh, and they weren't using Find My Friends, uh, you could do that. Or you could run like uh, shortcuts remotely for family members who aren't as, you know. Tech savvy. Uh, tech yeah. savvy, exactly. But, but then I'm guessing Apple will never enable a feature like that. <laughs> well, NoteCuts does work. Uh, the, the underlying concept still works on iOS 13. So it's yeah. assuming I can get the, the, the shortcut working uh, without any problems, uh, we'll still be able to do that. But can it also detect if you run the shortcut after the note has been modified? Or is it just checking um, every time it runs essentially, uh, hey, what's the current status? Hey, has it been updated? Hey, has it been updated? You could add a piece of text that says I've, I ran, and then another note cut on the other device could run and say, oh, you, you saw this or you ran this. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely, yeah. definitely possible. Yeah, or you could delete the, the, the text that actually triggers the action. That would also be a... Possibility. Hmm, I'm wondering about ways to modify this for my own ends. Yeah, it's like all your Hazel tricks are coming out, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, my boyfriend has an iPad. Uh, he doesn't use it a lot, but it's usually sitting in there. And I, I've just moved some, some plugs around today so it can basically sit there on charge all the time. So I may start freaking him out with some of this stuff. Yeah, see. See, Rose, you're already going to the dark place with this stuff. <laughs> I see you. Yeah, uh... There, but you know that's not the only problem. Adam, I guess there's some other problems with iOS 13 shortcuts for the kind of stuff you're doing uh, with runtime. Right. So the shortcuts team has made a lot of changes to how you create shortcuts. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the actions now look very much like natural language, like you're reading a sentence. 
Um, and they've changed the way inputs are done. So inputs to shortcuts are now in the actions themselves, as opposed to before it was whatever the previous action was, that was the input for the next action. And right. I think uh, it might be good. This, this approach might be good for new shortcut developers, uh, mm-hmm. but for kind of old curmudgeonly people like myself, it's, it's kind of annoying, I think. Um, because now I feel like I have to read the shortcut uh, in order to understand what's happening, like read each action, see, okay, yeah. this is the input, and then this is what's going to happen, as opposed to just looking at the action, seeing what's above it, and then seeing all the options for the shortcut all listed out, not hidden behind a show more button. Which automatically collapses uh, as well, if, even if there's something in it, which has led me several times to thinking that my shortcuts are broken. Uh, because previously, if you expanded the show more on, say, get contents of URL, um, to do something, then that would just stay expanded and now it automatically collapses, which makes me occasionally think that Shortcuts has forgotten um, that I expanded it and done things. And then it turns out there's another bug in there. Like I typed field instead of fields when doing something with Airtable. Well, I can see how this definitely is a problem for the type of stuff Adam is doing. And mm-hmm. that's no fun. But at the same time, I, from the flip side, I think there's lots of folks out there that will actually be able to use Shortcuts now that weren't before. So it's like, there's a trade-off. I, I don't think it was malicious. Like they weren't trying to shut uh, folks like Adam down as much as I think they're really trying to make it way more accessible to yes. everyone. I agree. Yeah, something tells yeah. me that the, the shortcuts team weren't there sitting there going, Hmm, how can we mess with Adam Tao this year? Um, <laughs> I, I think they have a little too much on their plate to even think about that. But yeah, I mean, it does read more like Apple script now um, than programming stuff, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it it's definitely a, a change which requires you to perhaps not completely relearn how to use the application, but it is a learning curve for everybody. But but even with the improvements they've made and the, the additional triggers we have, I feel like there's still space for the stuff Adam is doing because there is going to be a limit to how far Apple's going to go. And you're doing some really advanced stuff here, and uh, I, I hope it continues. <laughs> I guess it's my... Uh, that's what I'd say. Right. I do too. And I think it's the, the, the bugs that we're seeing in shortcuts hopefully are bugs that are going to be resolved. So things yeah. like uh, not being able to uh, choose whatever the previous input was as the yeah. input to the action. Uh, instead of having to, if you, if you set an input and then you happen to delete that input later, you have to like reset what that input was in the action. Yeah, instead of it automatically falling back to the previous one, which it sometimes does and sometimes doesn't. I think that's also a beta thing. Um, and occasionally it seems to be where I've manually set the input of a shortcut to something, which is the previous item. Um, then it also doesn't figure it out. But yeah. yeah. The the new uh, sentencing has also created some problems for me. I'm having to do a lot of get X from input before I do an if now. Because right, right. while it might be a text box, it is a number, and I want the if greater than option. The shortcut is there going, if it contains, well, if it contains a six, it could be six, sixteen, sixty, six hundred and sixty-six. Yeah. It could be anything. <laughs> I just yeah. want to know if it's more or less than six. So. Yeah, it's like it with that with that push for simplicity, we we do bump into some some problems that yes. that occur and uh, and hopefully, you know, it, we're still in beta, so I, I don't want to be too um Oh no. Yeah. But, but, you know, if we get to September and some of these problems still exist, you're going to hear about it, you know, yes. because they but do need as to a reminder fixed. for everybody listening who's running public or developer beta, whenever something does not work, please, please, please file feedback. 
feedback assistant is your friend. And also if something doesn't work the way you think it should, or it doesn't work the way you expect it to, file feedback because they, you know, the shortcuts team wants feedback. Um, they, they are probably doing the surprise Pikachu face at the amount of feedback that they're getting right now. But it's because we love you shortcuts people. It's because we love you. So, well, and, and they've made it easier than ever, whether you're on the developer or the public beta. I was just talking about this on a Mac power users. Now you can actually attach a video file. And since you can record your screen very easily on iOS. There's really mm -hmm. no excuse not to turn this stuff in. I mean, you can really give them a great explanation just with a video file. And I hope everybody's taking the time. I mean, if you're going to put the beta on, take the time to submit the feedback. Yes. And as a note, if the bug doesn't happen when you're recording a video, that's probably because the video recording is using just enough processor power that it slows everything down and fixes a race condition. So tell them that. <laughs> so. Sounds yes. like the voice of experience, Rose. Uh, yes, uh, I spent quite some time digging around trying to figure out why something worked when it was being recorded but didn't work the rest of the time um, and was talking to uh, some of the people at Apple about it and then they realized that it was just using just enough processor space that it was slowing something down and fixing a race condition. So at least that's what they told me. I don't know if that's actually true. I've never not seen the code myself, of course, but I can believe it. It seems very plausible. So uh, yeah. I can see a, a feedback from Adam just saying, you guys just need to put prompt kit in shortcuts. It just needs to become an action. Yes, just buy this from me, please. Give me all the monies and you can have this. <laughs> right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like we I can all make our choose our own adventures. It'll be awesome. Yes. Well, anyway, Adam, I, I, I continue to be impressed with all the great stuff you create. I love the way you use automation to solve so many problems in your life, but I also love the way you share all this great stuff with shortcuts you're doing. You you really are at the sharp end of the stick in terms of making shortcuts into more than it is as it comes from Apple, and I love that. I want everybody to go over to tow.com, T-O-W.com, and check out the stuff, subscribe, keep up with Adam, we're going to try to do the same thing, Adam, as you, as you release stuff, we'll try to remember to, to note, to mention it on the show, because I feel like you are, uh, you're one of my favorite automators and I, I love seeing what you're up to. Great. Thank you very much. I also have to say, I'm very impressed with the fact that you got a three letter URL, uh, which is also <laughs> your surname. Uh, yes. So, yes. Yes. I got that in 1995. So, yeah, I well, bet you did. You held on to it, so. <laughs> and that that was in the days when the domain names were free to register before you had to pay. Oh wow! Yes. And I how many uh, okay. how many towing companies have contacted you <laughs> to buy your your URL? Several over the years. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. their their prices are always too low for <laughs> for what ah, I'm looking wow. for. Okay, so there we go. Apple, if you want to buy PromKit, you have to offer Adam more than he's being offered for his URL. Well, you know, uh -huh. by, by the time your daughter gets to college, you know, maybe they'll the numbers will get high enough that it'll be the college plan too. Possibly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Either way, uh, everybody do go to tow.com before it turns into a towing company. We want to make yes. sure that you, you get some awesome automation. Adam, please don't stop what you're doing. And uh, we are the automators. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. You can also find us on our very own website at automators.fm. Uh, great forum at talk.automators.fm. Anything else, Rose? Uh, no, uh, Adam, do you want to link anybody to social media? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ATOW. So that's A-T-O-W. Or my website, just tau.com. Wonderful. Thanks to this week's sponsor, Texas Expander from Smile.
All right. We will see you in two weeks. 